It's a reading from the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, They don't have any wine. Jesus replied, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. His mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. The head waiter tasted the water that had become wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, Everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. You kept the good wine until now. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. And uh, we're in party season. Easter season, and I want to make sure everybody remembers what we're celebrating. So this is a little test. Don't worry if you uh, don't know what's going on. I'm sure you'll catch on quick. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Happy Easter, everybody. Easter is this seasonal experience. It's not just one day. It is a whole season of celebrating resurrection and joy and life, the triumph of life over death, and finding ways to celebrate together, which is why we're in this series called Party People, where we are going to be spending time in the parties of the gospel and spending time with one another in this spring and early summer, finding ways to party and celebrate together in the spirit of the risen God, the spirit of Easter. So today we're here to talk about a wedding, a couple of weddings actually. This is perhaps the most famous wedding in the Bible, the wedding at Cana that we heard in the reading today. But I'd like to start by telling you a little bit about my wedding to Cameron. If some of you have not figured this out quite yet, your pastors are married to each other. Cameron and I got married, um, uh, I don't know, some years ago. One of us will remember when it's important. Not him. (laughs) 
But yeah, so we've, we've been married for a few years now, um, and, and our wedding day, I, weddings weren't something that I ever like dreamed about as a kid. It wasn't something I was particularly looking forward to. There felt like a lot of gender expectations and stuff that felt really complicated. And, but Cameron and I wanted to celebrate our love. And that's what a wedding is, right? It's, it's people coming together, whole communities coming together to celebrate love and commitment and joy and family, to become family to one another by choice. To choose family together is a pretty queer thing to do. And so we thought, well, let's just lean into the spirit of the wedding. Let's do the things that feel good to us. And so our ceremony was like really Jesus-y, and we did all kind of fun rituals around our faith and our love for one another. And it was beautiful. It was before Zhao was here, and so we were getting married outside um, by the lake at the South Shore Pavilion here in Milwaukee. And it was like sunny and gorgeous, so we'd just done this beautiful ceremony. We released all the guests to go up inside um, the, the kind of pavilion area. It's like, go, you know, have some cocktails, wait for us, well, the dinner will happen. <laughs> some of you are laughing because you already know where this is going. <laughs> because Cameron and I, you know, we release our guests, right? And then, and we kind of, whew, take a few breaths. Wow, big ceremony energy. We take some pictures with family. We sign our wedding, certi- our like marriage certificate. And, um, and my friend Jody comes kind of, you know, jogging a little bit in her dress down to meet us. And, uh, and we're like, what's up, Jody? Like, uh, you know, we've only been away from the, from the party for like, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, 24 minutes. And Jody goes, great, it's going great up there. Everyone's having a blast. Um, we're already out of booze. And we were like, wait a minute, What? This was not like a shortage of, of planning. It wasn't like we didn't buy enough booze. We had, you know, we wanted a, a Wisconsin party, so we had old fashions. But if you know anything about old fashions, a, a, a classic old fashioned is all booze. And so we had pre-mixed these old fashions and put them into like, you know, like water dispensers. And we had next to it put a sign that says, have it Wisconsin style, and then we had a bunch of Sprite, right? So it's like, dilute your drink with, no one, no one, no one read our sign. No one read our sign, and so people were taking like cupfuls of this straight booze, (laughs) pre-mixed drink. And so, so we get up there, and we're like, okay, the booze is gone. Also, everyone's pretty trashed. Also, it's like 5.27 p.m., (laughs) So we were like, okay, you know what? Great, whatever. It's, it's, people made their choices, and now we're here. <laughs> a lot of people seem to be having a great time, so <laughs> let's just go with it. So we, we leaned into that spirit. Cameron and I, totally sober, of course, um, engaging with this party where we are, we are still in a spirit of celebration and joy. Uh, folks who are blessed by that um, free-flowing alcohol are, are being very open with us about how much they love us and how excited they are for our marriage. And eventually we open up the dance floor. And oh my gosh, it was like, it, we, it was September, but it's Wisconsin, so you never know if that's going to be like 40 or 90 in terms of weather. It was, on the, it was on the hot end. And so we're all like dripping sweat and a little boozed up. 
and just dancing our faces off. And so I want to share a picture. So this is, <laughs> this is our wedding. And everybody's just having an absolute blast. Um, because it's something I'm committed to in this series, I want to show you embarrassing pictures of me dancing with Cameron. I think we have some. Is that a yes or a, or a move on, Jonah? All right. We could only fit so many pictures in. But in this party, there was a lot of, like, free-flowing energy, and it was really beautiful, and people were there to celebrate, and they really let loose. And that's the whole thing that we were going for, right? The thing that, that we didn't want for our wedding was, like, stuffy formality. What we wanted was just, like, pure joy and excitement and connection. And I was super grateful that one of the things that made our wedding really great was that we had invited the person who I believe is the greatest wedding guest of all time. Now, I don't know if you know this, but like being a good wedding guest is a skill. Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's like innate. I think it is in this person I'm about to tell you about. But it's being a good wedding guest is about like showing up to the party with a very improv yes and energy, right? It's like you come, you want to be in the ceremony, you cry at the ceremony. You come to the, to the speeches, you cheer for the speeches. You go, get to the dance floor and you dance your face off. And the person who does that better than anyone else in the world, I am convinced, is my mother, Peggy Holm. <laughs> There's Peggy. Yeah, you may know her as our bassist in the band or as... Um, you know, one of the people who spearheads our kids' ministry or the person who beautified this entire building. But Peggy Holm, her first gift in life, I believe, is wedding guest. So Peggy is, a, is an excellent wedding guest. And as the party is going on and dancing is happening and all this stuff, uh, Cameron and I had actually, and the booze is gone, the booze has been long gone, Cameron and I had actually planned for one special event, particularly in honor of the greatest wedding guest of all time, Peggy Holm. You see, Peggy had recently become obsessed with a Pitbull song. You may know it. It's called Fireball. <laughs> and incidentally, one of my best friends, a member of my own wedding party, John McDonald, when he puts on a suit and sunglasses, looks identical to Pitbull. <laughs> And so, uh, as the evening wore on, you know, we got to this certain point and we were like, all right, is it time? Is it time? It's time. We had, um, we had everybody, like, get real quiet. We were like, we have an announcement. We had been dancing. We were like, stop the dancing. Stop the music. We have a special event, a special experience. I would like to invite up Peggy Holm. So my mom came up. And we were like, we have a surprise for you. We have invited Pitbull to this wedding. <laughs> and out comes my friend John McDonald in his Pitbull attire, along with another friend of ours, Jordy, who you also may know, um, in heels with a full waitress carry tray of shots of fireball. <laughs> And so Jordy comes out, and Pitbull announces, and the music starts, and all of a sudden, it's shots everywhere, shots for everyone who wants it, and a conga line. I don't know if those pictures made it up, if we got even one, but if not, we can throw back that picture of Peggy and Pitbull. Oh, there we go. All right, there's Pitbull, followed by Peggy, 
followed by Cameron and Jonah, both very sweaty and having a blast. And we congaed around that place um, and had so much fun and laughed and laughed and laughed. And that's, honestly, it's one of the greatest memories of, <laughs> of the wedding. There are so many that, that strike my memory, but, but that moment of just like sheer joy and silliness and celebration was just so fun. And, and I think that there are people who would not expect a ceremony that had like laying on of hands, praying and foot washing and all this like hyper Jesus-y stuff to also have a fireball, pitbull inspired conga line where everybody has like already consumed all the booze in the place and is dancing their faces off. But I think that's actually very much in line with who Jesus is and who Jesus calls us to be. Now, I want to have a little aside here about alcohol. I'm going to be talking about alcohol in the context of weddings a lot in terms of joy, but I want to acknowledge that alcohol does not always bring joy. And in fact, alcohol can be both used as a tool to engage in community and connect with one another, or as a way to really disconnect from ourselves, tune out the things that we're feeling, um, and, and really separate us from the presence of God and community. And so, um, you know, alcohol, like many gifts uh, of God, is something that, like, can be a blessing in context, but also can be really harmful. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that there are folks in our community in recovery. I have my own experience with addiction and recovery. Um, and if folks are looking for resources or to get connected, both Cameron and I have um, a lot of uh, connections there. Um, and so feel free if you're ever um, wondering if you might want some help around addiction to come seek one of us out. So with that caveat, that alcohol... Um, can also be harmful in the wrong context or um, when we are feeling really vulnerable. There is a spirit of joy in this story of the wedding at Cana, particularly related to wine. And so I think that there are actually a lot of parallels between this, this, you know, the booze running out and the fireball coming out at the end at our wedding and what we're seeing here in this wedding at Cana. Now, to contextualize this story, I want to tell you a little bit about the Gospels. So there are four different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them are fundamentally telling the same story. The life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. But they all do it from a different vantage point. It's like if you were to hang out with four different friends and... And then each of those friends were to tell the story of that night. They're all going to have different vantage points, different things that they're emphasizing and wanting to get across. That's one of the reasons it's so beautiful that we have these different stories, because we get these different angles. So each of the gospel writers has their own priorities, and they tell their stories sometimes in a different order, sometimes different stories altogether. Um, you know, so... So we get a, the fullest picture of Jesus by reading all four, but we get these priorities by really saying, like, what's different about these? So Mark's gospel, for instance, is very much about, like, getting to the action. Mark's favorite word is immediately. Immediately Jesus did this, and immediately he did that again. Then they immediately left and immediately did some other stuff. Mark is, like, all action. Luke, Luke's big thing is the great reversal. 
maybe why it's my favorite. But Luke is like, the first will be last and the last will be first. Everything's about justice and the upending of power. And so in Luke, the first public act that Jesus does is to to piss people off so much by preaching justice and jubilee and like the forgiveness of debts that they get so mad they're about to throw him off a cliff. And it just sets up like, Luke's like, you guys have to understand like Jesus is here to like upend the empire. But John, this is the gospel we're reading from today. John's big priority is making sure that you know that Jesus is God that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is holy and beautiful and true. John begins by saying, you know, there was a light, and the light was with God, and the light was God, and that light is Jesus, the logos, the logic of the universe, the guy, Jesus, right? And so it would seem particularly strange that it is in this gospel the one that is so concerned with whether Jesus is holy and divine that the first public act Jesus would make would be to do this like holy booze run at a wedding. But I think that that tells us something about how holy that booze run was and how holy and divine joy and celebration are. So holiness means something different than we think a lot of times. Holiness, I like to think of as connected to the English word whole. Holiness is being made whole, right? If you were here with us during our series on sin, torn, we talk about how sin is the the kind of tearing apart of oneself or a relationship or the cosmos. Holiness is being brought back together, woven together in relationship through love. And so we think of holiness not as some sort of performative piety or like being perfect in this kind of stuck-up way. But holiness is anything that draws people together in right relationship and love and connection. And so you can start to see already where this is going with this wedding. But when we get into this story, we've got John saying, God, the God, the one who was there, who will be there, who is infinite, who is the light, who brings love and life to the world and to the people, went to a wedding. And weddings in ancient Palestine lasted about a week. I feel like one of the biggest takeaways we're going to get from this whole sermon series is that our parties are too short nowadays. Because if you recall, last week we were talking about festivals, the festival booths, also lasted a week. And so these, these weddings are a part of human life. Jesus is showing up uh, as, a, as a human being in community, celebrating the love of family and connection, celebrating the choice to build family together, celebrating relationship and intimacy and connection. And on the third day, they ran out of wine. Now this is kind of a party fall on behalf of the host, I know I defended myself earlier saying that we bought enough booze even though we ran out, but it is. It's, it's not, you know, it's on, it's on the host to plan a little bit here. And Mary and Jesus have an exchange about it. A real quick aside, he calls her woman in the text, um, and it's, it's sort of hard to, like, parse in English, but, like, that's actually more of a formality than an insult. He's not being, like, woman. He's being, like, you know, formal mother. Like, what, what do you want me to do about it? 
And that's basically what he says. He's like, um, I, this is not my thing. Like, we're just here to party. We're here at this wedding. Mary's like done even talking to him and being like, hey, you guys just do what he says. Mary already knows what Jesus is capable of. And Jesus is, is like, is now, is, now, is now when I bust it out? All right, all right, here we go. So this, this exchange culminates in Jesus turning six cisterns that hold 30 gallons of water into wine. Just to do a little quick math for you, that is 180 gallons of wine. That is 1,000 bottles of wine. That's too much wine, Jesus. It's too much wine. And then when somebody comes to taste it, they discover that it's not just wine. It's like really good wine. It's the best wine. And, and they comment on that because they're like, um, protocol is you give people the really good wine while they're sober. <laughs> and then when everybody gets drunk, you bring out the cheap stuff, they're not going to notice. But what have you done here? Like, you know, we're a few days in. Everyone's already, already in the mix here. And now you've brought out the best wine. So what does this mean? Well, the author of the gospel frames this story in the language of grace. This is what grace looks like, a miracle of abundance, more than you could want, more than you thought you wanted, more than you thought you needed, but somehow the very best. Theologian Caroline Lewis says, it's a sign of abundance that manifests what grace upon grace tastes like. It tastes like the best wine, more than you could possibly want or drink when you least expect it. And it is the kind of unexpected nature of this miracle that gives it that extra boost, that kind of like, oh, we didn't even know there could be more, much less that there could be so much more and so much more of such a good thing. The text calls it a sign, a miraculous sign, because it says something about who Jesus is. It points to what holiness is. Holiness is abundance. The idea that it's on the third day here is really significant, too, because that's a reference to resurrection, life from death. This wine, this abundance of gorgeous, beautiful, best quality, out-of-nowhere wine is like Jesus raising from the dead. But it works in reverse, too, that connection, that metaphor. Jesus raising from the dead is like the best wine coming out after the cheap, run, cheap wine has run dry at the party. Jesus' resurrection is like more abundance than you can possibly imagine ever going through. And John actually repeats this theme throughout the gospel. At one point, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. All who come to me will not hunger. But there's a distinction here, right? That, that bread is about nourishment and wine is about joy. That Jesus gives us all the nourishment we could ever want. That we will never be longing if we find our nourishment there. But also, there is wine in abundance. There is joy. There is frivolity. There is party. There is dance. There is celebration. And Jesus multiplies that joy. It wasn't like the party was dead. It wasn't like everyone was already going home. Jesus doesn't wait until things are dire to bring the good party energy. Jesus shows up prepared to multiply. And that is something that we are called to do as well 
as Easter people, as Christians, as community, as Zao. How can we come to the party with more party? That is actually a holy task. How can we come to joy with more joy? How do we make more celebration out of any celebration that is there? Now, part of this is about upending our systems and not trying to simply replicate the channels for joy that already exist, especially when joy is so constricted, so crushed under oppression. Our containers for joy are insufficient, and we, we see that even in the metaphors for wine that continue in the scriptures. In Mark, uh, it says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And what that means to me is that we need new containers for joy. We need creative, prophetic imagination about what joy even looks like and how to hold it, how to multiply it. That is our task as holy people, people longing for connection and celebration. We need imagination about how to hold and contain and multiply that joy because the abundance of Jesus looks so fundamentally different than the scarcity of the world that it cannot be held by our current structures. It cannot be held by our current relationships or even our imaginations. It is our task to be grown. It is our task to be made new. And we do that not only when we are imagining alternatives to policing and prisons or calling for justice in the streets. We do that when we gather over a meal, when we define our families differently, when we celebrate love in a new way, when we throw a wedding with no bride. We do that when we have new containers for joy that we are building in the name of Jesus and love and celebration every day. And that's what we do at Zao, right? Like, we need those new containers, those new structures for the abundance that Jesus is here to provide. That's why we started a church from scratch. Because we thought that God was pouring love into the world in a way that deserved something new, a new wineskin to receive it. Zao, as you may or may not know, means to be among the living, fully alive. And so we build new wineskins here as a community. What does it mean to be fully alive in this moment, at this party, at this wedding? What does it mean to multiply joy? How do we create new spaces and containers for love and connection? Because God is pouring into us, and if we are doing it right, we are pouring back out into the world. Our joy, our love, our wine goes flowing like abundance into the streets. And Zao, the church, the body of Christ, our community cannot be contained in any one space. That's why we don't just hang out in this space. This container, this building is not a sufficient wineskin for the joy of our community. That's why we meet in bars and on the beach and in people's homes. That's why our wine pours out in Facebook groups and in, insta in direct messages and late night phone calls and in, in hikes that we take in our community. The wine and abundance of God pours out in you at the end of your shift when you find yourself sitting with a coworker because you're both having a rough time. The wine of abundance of God pours out in you when you are connecting with a pet who loves you more than anything in the world. The wine and abundance of God 
pours out in you anytime you are connected enough to the love and provision of God to amplify joy, provision, and love in the world. This is the wine that is poured out. It is plentiful. It is beautiful. It is holy. It is holy, connecting, and it is beyond our wildest imaginations. We are called to pour out that wine, to turn joy into joy, to turn sustenance into delicacy. This joy turns water, which is life, into wine, which is celebration. So how can you become the world's greatest wedding guest? I mean, other than talking to Peggy. How can you become more like Jesus? How can we, as Zhao, be a party people? And not in a shallow way, and not in a way that simply replicates the shallow calls to celebration that we sometimes encounter. But true, deep, abiding joy. The joy that is connection and abundance. That is our call as followers of Jesus and as party people. Will you pray with me? God, you are the life of the party. God, I pray that you would help us to become lives of the party too, that your abundance would help us to bring party and celebration and joy wherever we may find it. We know that you call us to celebrate in part to give us strength, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we pray that you would give us strength, that the party could give us hope for the struggle, which could give us the freedom of liberation. But God, we also know you call us to party, to celebrate, to abundance, because that is life. And I pray that your abundance would crack through the, the structures and containers that are trying to limit us. That your abundant wine would flow through those institutions of scarcity and break them down. And God, that we could pour forth into the world like joyful abundance. In your name we pray. Amen.